Hi, I'm Adrienne, the host of She's So Cool, a female empowerment podcast. This show is for listeners who want to hear from strong and influential women. Welcome to She's So Cool, where each episode will inspire you to embrace who you are, love yourself fiercely, and pursue your dreams. She's So Cool is hosted by Adrian White and produced by FemPower Media. For more information or to get in touch, visit fempowermedia.com. Think about the female entrepreneurs you look up to. Many of them likely have something in common, a podcast. More and more people are listening to podcasts, and it's a beautiful platform where you can speak directly to and connect with your dream clients. Hosting a podcast allows you to stay in touch with your audience and give them value on a regular basis. It's one of the quickest ways your followers will know, like, and trust you. If you're interested in starting a podcast but don't know how, I'm your girl. I have limited spots available for my podcast launch consulting. I'll help you turn your idea into a show that makes you more money and helps you make a larger impact on the world. The link to my podcast consulting is in the episode description. I can't wait to help you get your show in the ears of your dream clients. On this episode, I interviewed Molly Dewey, the co-founder and co-CEO of Medicool, a coaching consultancy for professional women. She works alongside her business partner, Natalie Eicher, who you'll hear more about throughout the episode. Medicool's mission is to help companies retain and advance valuable female talent by making their women employees feel supported and empowered at every stage of their life and career. During our conversation, Molly speaks about the importance of having women in leadership roles. She shares her experiences with getting caught in a struggle between self-love and self-improvement. She also gets vulnerable and shares how she has taken on many different identities in search of meaning, purpose, and happiness. Keep listening to hear Molly share these insights and so much more. So my name is Molly Dewey. I am the co-CEO and co-founder at Medicool, which is a coaching consultancy for professional women. Tell me a little bit more about you and Natalie and how you know each other and how you started Medicool together. Yeah. So Natalie, I always say, is the best thing that has ever happened to me since meeting my husband. She's the best second marriage I have ever embarked on. But so we actually met when we were both kind of having our own, not like quarter life crises, but we were both in a place where we were really needing a change professionally. And so, you know, on two sides of the country, I left my job in tech. Uh, I was at AOL as an editor for a couple different lifestyle verticals. And she was in tech sales for Dell EMC. And we both kind of came to this conclusion where we were burning out a little bit and it wasn't feeling really fulfilling. It wasn't feeling meaningful. And we both really wanted to do something that lined up better with our passion. And so Separately, we each enrolled in Duke Integrative Medicine's health coaching program and met in that. So what was nice was I was here in Colorado. I was able to be in that program remotely, but you do have to go be physically on campus in Durham twice throughout the program for like a week at a time. So the first time I went was the first time that I met Natalie. We were partnered on, you know, practicing coaching methods and whatnot together and just one of those kind of instant soul connections where you meet someone and you're like, you feel like you've known them forever. 
uh, that was how it was with me and Natalie. And so then the next time I was in Durham, she and I actually got an Airbnb together and with a couple other women in our program. And we all stayed together and just got really close and then and then stayed in touch afterwards. So so Medicool, actually, I started just to be a sort of independent coaching practice for women. And I was going to be doing it remotely from my office here in Colorado and pretty quickly found out that that was not what I wanted to be doing, especially health coaching has, it's so wonderful and it has its place, but it's, it's very clinical and that's not my jam. I did not want to work with doctors, with nurses in hospitals and healthcare facilities. I really felt like I could have more of an impact working with women like me in more of a corporate professional setting and knowing that Natalie came from that too. And that that was such a huge part of who she was. I called her up one day and she was in Home Depot with her husband and her one month old baby at the time. And I was like, Hey, I think we really need to take this integrative health coaching model that we've learned and apply it to the workplace and go in and help women like us not make the same mistakes that we did professionally and thrive and advance and get into leadership roles. And we can do this by creating programs and you know, what, what have you, what medical has turned into really. Uh, but we can do it with integrative health coaching at the center. And she was like, yeah, let me think about that. You know, I'm uh, standing in the paint aisle at Home Depot. I'm with Justin, her husband. She was like, let me talk to him about it. And she called me the next day and was like, let's do this. And from there, we spent probably six months every day working together, um, designing what are now our four signature programs, putting together our signature workshops and webinar series. And I mean, it is so much more robust what we offer now because two heads are better than one. I could have never come up with the stuff that we're doing now on my own and and our partnership has just taken our service to the next level. And, and it's really been a beautiful thing. That's amazing. Yeah. That is so great. So when exactly did you launch Medicool? So we officially went to market with Medicool in 2018. That said, we'd been working on it for about a year up until that point. And then we relaunched the website, all of our services, and started putting ourselves out there within our own networks on LinkedIn, all of that. Um, and I was fully invested in it. Natalie was still at Dell part-time at the time and then ended up, we took off pretty quickly and, and it needed both of our full attentions pretty quickly. And so then she was able to leave Dell and now we're, we're both full-time and we have a growing team and it's been, yeah, so it's been about two years. I'm so excited to hear that, that it was so successful from the get-go. Tell me a little bit about like the launch and when it took off, you know, what do you attribute that to? That's a great question. So to first address, you know, was it really initially successful? Yes, because in the sense of you approach these large companies that we work with and most of the companies that we work with are, you know, they have 5,000 or more employees. So they've got a global presence. They have huge teams that are connected all over the world, virtually, in person, what have you. So you're never going to approach someone and say, we want to help advance your women and get them into leadership roles and feel supported throughout all of their career stages and all of their major life transitions so that they're happier and your workplace is happier and everyone's more productive and it's better for your bottom line. 
No one says that's a bad idea, right? No one's like, mm, pass. <laughs> what happens though is at these large companies that we work with, it's a bureaucratic system. There are so many layers and levels of people to go through. So you talk to one person who has some power, right? And they're like, this is a great idea. Now I have to take it to the next person up. And then they have to take it to the next person, to the next person, to the board, to whoever, before it gets approved. So while we we were getting a lot of excitement and traction right away, we weren't necessarily signing clients and seeing the checks rolling in right away. So it was a good learning experience because we knew there was a need and, a, and an excitement around what we were doing, but it also was a bit of a wake-up call like, this might be an 18-month sales cycle with these really big clients. So we're now at a place where we've had the conversation for 18 months or you know 12 months or 10 months, however long it might take, and now we're getting those clients onboarded and we're launching the programs with them. But and, and hopefully that means we'll be a recurring vendor for them and continue to do this. But for that net new business, it requires some patience that has taken a little bit for me to get comfortable with. I appreciate hearing that, you know, because oftentimes we're just hearing the success stories and not knowing about all of the layers of struggle or all the layers of perseverance that lead to that success. That is such a good point. I find that as a female founder, I'm constantly looking for podcasts and articles out there about other female founders. And I want to know if it was hard, if they were going through the same things that I was going through, because so many of the amazing businesses out there and the amazing female founders like Whitney Wolf Hurd or Tyler Haney or Emily Weiss, it can really seem like it was just this overnight success. I struggle to be like, what? where's the in-between part? Where was the growth? Where was the struggle? Because I want to know about that and make sure that they had it too so that I know I'm on the right path. In the pre-interview process, you stated that we need more women in leadership. Can you tell me more about the massive workplace culture change that you envision and how it will set other women up for success? Yes, this is something I am so passionate about. What we're seeing right now is that there are companies out there, one of our clients even, is shooting for 50-50 gender equity in their leadership roles by 2030. So we are so happy when companies set goals like that that we can help support and and really get them closer to. But because what's happening is, sure, there are women in leadership roles. I know lots of them, and, and I'm sure we all know women in leadership roles, but there's still the minority, the, the statistics and the percentages of women who are sitting on boards, who are in the C-suite, is still so much lower than men. And what happens when that's the case is younger women who are earlier in their careers or who are striving for leadership roles themselves, more mid-level management, they don't have role models. They don't have anyone to look to. And we are a society that learns by example. That's how our brains are wired. And so if we don't have women that we can look to and copy and work towards and talk to and be mentored by, it's really going to be a lot harder for us to become those women, right? So the more women we're able to get there, 
the better it is then for generations of women that come after us because then we've just got more role models for them and it becomes the norm and it becomes less of this sort of rare thing that a young woman might be putting certain things on hold to strive for her career. Maybe that's more normal. Maybe that's just what it is and it's, and it's considered the same for men and women. So that's really the goal. You stated that Medicool's programs take a whole person holistic approach. Can you tell me about the various services you provide, such as coaching, mentorship, consulting, things like that, to ensure female advancement and cultural transformation? Yes. So to first address the whole person approach that we take, this is where the integrative health coaching model comes in, and it's different from career coaching models. So if somebody goes to school and gets, you know, a certification or degree in executive coaching, it's going to be different than what we're doing as career coaches utilizing the integrative health coaching model, which has what we learned is called the wheel of health. We've since created our own version of that at Medicool called the well-being wheel. And what it does is it shows you eight different areas of your well-being because what's going on at work, how well you're performing, how you're feeling as a professional, has to do with so much more than what's going on within those office walls. It's not just about your career and and what you're doing task-wise every day. It's also about the relationships that you have both at work and outside of work. Because if you're fighting with your boyfriend, you're bringing that into the office and it's distracting you and it's going to affect your productivity. Or if you are feeling unhealthy, like physically you're you're ill or mentally you're not in a good place that's again going to affect how you interact with your coworkers how you how open you are to taking on new challenges how positively you view opportunities for growth or not and so what we do as we call it high performance coaching really at Medicool is that we're not just going to talk to you about your job and what's going on at work. We want to look at everything that makes you a whole person, which is why it's called a whole person or holistic approach. And we're going to address all those areas because when one thing is out of whack, it's a domino effect. It sends everything else out of whack too. And that's not good for business. So, you know, that's why a company brings us in. But so the coaching piece and this whole person approach is at the core of everything that we do. So what we're known for is our four signature programs, three of which are career stage specific and one of which is life transition specific. So the first one is called Empower Potential, and it's for women early in their careers. They're just starting out. They're figuring out who they are as a professional and also still as a person. You know, they've come out of college. They've maybe been in the workforce for a few years. They've maybe just gotten a master's degree, whatever it may be. And they're still figuring it out. And they're figuring out not only who they are, but how they're going to be perceived in the workplace, how they're going to connect with others and and what success means to them. So that's a really crucial time because also we see so many women leaving the workforce, even four to six or seven years in, they try it out. It doesn't feel like it's for them. They're maybe at a company that's not particularly supportive of their development and they they find something else. They, you know, they leave to go, you know, their side hustle becomes their full-time hustle where they've got more flexibility or they get married and they start having babies and they're like, I want to stay home with my cute kid. That's way better than this. So that's a time that we've identified, you know, women are dropping out and we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. 
So then another one of our programs is called the Collective Advancement Academy, which is kind of a mouthful. So we call it the CAA. And that is for women who are on a leadership track. They are the future of their company and they've been told by their managers or by their companies that that is the case. So they've kind of been tapped. They've been nominated to be part of this program. And they're going for really tangible promotions. They're following a pretty linear traditional path, but in order to do that, you know, a lot of times so many women feel like I'm either going to do the corporate thing or I'm going to do the personal thing, you know, and if they want to go and get, get after all of those promotions, they feel like they have to put in all the hours. They have to make all the connections. They have to hit every social event, every happy hour, and they have to put themselves and their personal lives on hold to do that. And that is so not the case. And so what we do in that program is work with both the women going through the program as well as their teams and their management to make sure that they're able to strive professionally without neglecting the other important parts of their life. And again, that goes back to that really whole person approach. And a lot of times it requires the education of their management, who are a lot of times men to say, yes, they've got other stuff going on. They have to go home and spend time with their husbands or their kids. And it's important for them to make daycare pickup every day at 530, whatever it may be, and to really create more awareness around the fact that they can do those things and still be really productive at work and still have a huge impact on their teams. So that's where some of the cultural stuff comes in, where we're really trying to help create more of a systemic change at that corporate level, in addition to working with those women. And then we also have a program called MC Restart, which is really gaining traction because so many companies now are doing what's called returnships, where they're bringing in men and women who left the workforce for a little while. And of course, we see it more in women than in men because they're the ones who leave to take care of kids, to raise children, to take care of sick parents, elderly parents. And then what happens? Their kids go to high school, they go to college, they don't need those women as much anymore. And they start thinking, I really want to do something different. And I want to get back into the workforce. But there's a huge confidence issue there. They're scared. They're intimidated. We're in a time now in 2020 where technology is changing rapidly. They're like, I don't know how to use Zoom. Everyone's talking on this thing called Slack, you know, so it can be everything from basic tech education to talking to them about the way that networking happens now. And also around things like, yeah, you maybe left the workforce for 15 years but you still have a lot to bring to the table, you know, and let's look at your transferable skills. What did you do before you had kids or before you were taking care of your sick dad? You know, how can we apply what you were really good at once in a sort of non-technical space to what you can be really good at now in a completely digital world. So that's been really great. We call it our restarter program. And so a lot of times we'll either go in and be a complement to a restarter or a returnship program, or we'll come in and we'll build it for the company. And then our last program, which is, I mentioned around more of a life transition than a career stage is called Meta Mama. And we're actually in the process of rebranding because we've found so many men want to be in the program as well. So it's, but Meta Parent doesn't really quite have the same ring to it. So Meta Mama though is for women and men making the transition to parenthood, which is 
can be really scary. There are so many women, especially out there, who put off having kids because they're afraid of what it's going to do to their career development. But then what happens is they, by you know, so many women now are having kids later in life, which means they're further along in their careers. They're a lot of times already in leadership positions. So for their company to support them through this transition and make sure they are happy through maternity leave and happy when they come back postpartum and are back in the workforce, that is imperative to their bottom line because if those women come back and do not feel supported, they will leave. And then that company is tasked with finding someone to replace them, which is so expensive, time, energy, resources, training. I mean, it is so much better for a company to pay us up front to really help that woman and her team have an incredible maternity experience so that they don't on the back end then have to spend 10x to replace that person. How did you decide to focus on the different stages of women's careers for your program offerings? Yeah, well, so everything that we do is really research-based. We're not just taking a stab in the dark and saying, you know, it's really important for women at these higher levels of leadership or becoming leaders to have some extra support. We have evidence to be, to back that up. And so based on all of our research and the, the psychologists and the, and the statisticians that we've worked with out there, these are the three really crucial times we've identified where women are so necessary in the workplace. And our clients really also back that up because they'll come to us and say, yes, and power potential is what we need. We're, women are dropping like flies at level eight or whatever their internal coding may look like. And, you know, or we cannot get enough women. We've got women up to the mid-level management. And then after that, nothing. So it's been reinforced by the clients that we work with. But then, of course, it's all evidence-based that we know these are really crucial times when women are leaving and when companies need them the most. If you're interested in working with Molly and the other ladies at Medicool, they're offering She's So Cool listeners 10% off coaching with the code FEMPOWER. So it's really interesting. You know, I'm doing four interviews this week. And out of the four, two of them quit their corporate jobs mm. to go travel. And I do think, you know, there is this millennial movement, this millennial shift out of we don't want to be controlled. We want to have freedom. We want to have the ability to, you know, have a flexible schedule and dictate like what our days look like. And I'm just thinking, I think this is such a wonderful program. And a company has to be pretty progressive to believe in something like this and put the money down for something like that. You know, I feel as if, you know, companies in like Silicon Valley would be really interested, but I think it would be probably harder to tap into other organizations like healthcare. So are you noticing that there are certain companies, certain types of companies that believe in what you're doing? Or do you think that you have a pretty wide representation of like different types of industries? You know, we actually have a pretty wide representation of industries. And I think it's a combination. Some of the, co the companies that we work with are very progressive and really do think that what we're doing is so important. But then we've also got some companies that we work with where they're a little more unsure of this investment, but the, the data doesn't lie. The trends and the statistics out there do not lie, and it's becoming a business imperative that gender equity at all levels is a thing. And so they're getting pressure from their boards, from their stockholders, from their investors to really see more women in leadership 
and at every level of their companies. And so whether or not they think what we're doing is really going to work, they're at least getting that box checked that shows they're trying. But then what happens is it's great because we get in there solely to check their box and then we create real results for them. And then they become believers, right? And so how long do you typically work with a company? Yeah, so our shortest program is 10 months and they range, our programs go from 10 months up to 18 months. And the idea with that also goes back to our integrative health coach training that tells us real change is not going to happen overnight. I think we all know that. You know, we've all read The Power of Habit and things like that, that says if we're really going to make change on an individual level, on a cultural level, on a systemic level, any type of change needs time and it needs long-term goals and it needs small steps to get you there. And so we've really translated that coaching model essentially into these longer term, higher touch programs where we really can say we're going to have a lasting impact because we're not just in and out. That said, we will also work with companies, you know, if they just want us to come in and do a workshop for a specific event for a specific group of people. Sure, we're happy to come in and do that and do as much experiential education paired with coaching as we can. But we do always sort of do it with a little asterisk, like we're happy to do this and we're going to introduce you to who we are. But we really recommend more than one day of this because You know, Natalie and I are great at what we do. We can go in and deliver a very powerful four-hour workshop. But the way that we work as human beings is we take it away. We think about it at dinner. We maybe think about it the next day. And then we forget about it. And we move on and we're back to our old way. So if we really want to create that lasting change, we need the accountability of something that's a little bit longer term. So you mentioned that you've seen many millennial women defaulting to antiquated gender norms. I would love to hear more about the specific behaviors you have witnessed and what the alternative behaviors you think would be better for these women to adopt to promote gender equality. So I have a few close women in my life who are amazing. They are so smart. They're so confident. They are well-educated, well-equipped to do whatever they want professionally, personally, I don't care. And they have, you know, I'm from the Midwest. So we're still, people from the Midwest are still getting married a little younger, you know, more like in their mid twenties, instead of waiting until their thirties or even forties, like so many of my counterparts back in New York are doing. And then they, of course, want to have babies right away, which is great. I love babies. Babies are super cute. And I really want one too. But what happens is it's just this automatic thing where they have the baby and they're done. They're, they're just leaving the workforce. And it's odd to me that that is still happening because I guess in my mind, I'm at least like, try it, try going back to work. And, you know, whether it's part-time, whether it's flexible, whether it's virtual remote at home work or switching up your job to one that feels more doable with a child, But don't completely say you're done with your professional life altogether. And that is so surprising to me that I'm still seeing that happen with women who are completely leaving. And I think that 
that's where we can be so supportive at Medicool. If a company like these that my friends work for were to say, we're going to really support you and help you when you come back, we we're going to do a month long, you know, easing into process where you can work three days a week or you can work from home every day, or we can make sure you're done by three every afternoon and your team is going to be on board with this. And everybody is really here for your success postpartum. If that were the case, then maybe they would come back, they would stay back, and then they would continue to advance and be awesome moms too. But what sucks, really, for lack of a better term, is that there aren't enough companies out there doing this and helping these women. So they feel like their only option is to either focus 100% of their time and themselves on their jobs or go be wives and moms. And I really wish that that weren't the case. I wish that it felt like we could do both. So you stated that your journey has been far from linear. You've lived all over the world and have experienced many different identities. You said that you have been a practicing Buddhist while living in Southeast Asia, a success-obsessed New Yorker, and a dog mom and wife in the mountains of Colorado, all in search of meaning, purpose, and happiness. What life events led to these different identities? I think that that's just part of growing up, especially being a woman. We try on lots of different things and we want to figure out what our most authentic self feels like. And so for me, it's not necessarily that I tried on a lot of things and then threw them away. It was that I wanted to have as many different experiences as I, as I could and Parts of those experiences have now become who I am. They've contributed to who I am today. So, yeah, you know, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a great city. You know, it's it's the Midwest, but thankfully, Madison is really a microcosm of forward thinkers, thanks to the university and liberals. And that said, it still felt like the Midwest. And I went to school in Madison where I grew up because it was a great school. It was a great opportunity and a great price. Um, but so I was very driven to get out as much as I could and, and see more of the world. So let's see my first, I lived in London the summer after my freshman year of college and was studying global new media at the London School of Economics during the Olympics, which was really fun and a great experience. And that was sort of my like foray into, I could really be a professional journalist. I really love writing and meeting people and talking to people and piecing out uh, people's stories. But it was also like very much my party girl phase. I had a lot of fun living in London, probably too much fun. And really all through college, I mean, I did go to Madison. So I pulled some stuff out of that. And I think knew pretty early on, like when I was living in London, I was like, I'm not someone who can go clubbing every single night long term. This is who I am right now. And I'm still now 10 years later, someone who loves to go dancing and loves the occasional cocktail. But you know, and so that's kind of like a piece of that that I was able to take, but that's not all of who I am like I was at that point. And then uh, let's see, then I went back to Madison for the school year and then had my first summer in New York because what happened was I came back from London, I had completely fallen in love with it, was ready to transfer to the LSE and my parents were like, hold the phone. 
you need to attach yourself to a large metropolitan area that is not across an ocean. So try New York and then talk to us about moving to London. So I went to New York. I had my first internship in journalism and loved it. Then, you know, fell even more in love with New York than I had been with in London. And that again was, um, you know, I was still partying. I was still having a good time, but that was really my first introduction into having a job and being a professional. And I threw myself into it. No work-life balance, even a little bit. I was like, I'm going to be the best damn intern they have ever seen. And if that means working 85 hour weeks, so be it. And so that's what I did. I was up at the crack of dawn volunteering for every project, every after hours thing. I really glommed on to uh, the woman who was one tick above my manager and was like, I am going to be her like wherever she is, I'm coming, I'm doing it. Um, and so I literally was like, at the end of that summer was really burned out as a 21 year old or not even. And so that was kind of a great thing for me where I was like, I love to work. I love, I'm good at working. I'm good at the corporate thing. I'm great at hitting goals and hitting numbers and making people really happy with my progress. But I'm also not somebody that can do this like at the pace that I was going. So that was helpful initially. And so then what happened was, I think I did one more summer in New York where I tried to rein it in a little bit and work a little bit less still, you know, more of like working smarter, not harder, which I wasn't as good at as I wanted to be. So then when it came time to study abroad again, I was supposed to go to Spain and I was like, I've done the clubbing thing. I've done the urban thing. I've done the drinking too much, working my ass off, like burning both ends of the candle thing. It's time to take a step back and figure out who I am at my core, what my values are, and who I want to be as an adult. I'm about to graduate college, so I'm going to Southeast Asia. So I moved to Chiang Mai, Thailand, and I went to Chiang Mai University for a semester. I lived there about six and a half months. And when I got there, that was huge to me because it was the first time in my life that I was like, wow, I love nature. And I'd been like Miss London, Miss New York, all up until that and was like concrete jungle, here I come. And then was like, oh, but mountains, this is nice. Like quiet, you know, connecting with my own thoughts. I can hear myself think. Um, that was a big wake up call for me. And then also the fact that people in Thailand they call it the land of smiles for a reason. Everyone is genuinely so happy and they're not necessarily all striving for the next thing and the next promotion. And they don't care what people think of them. They're just doing them for the most part. And they're really kind to everyone else and they're really happy. And I was like, this is so much more in line with who I am at my core. And I need to figure out how to do this and maybe also the corporate thing. And so I had a little bit of a crisis of confidence, actually, where I was like, I, I stopped drinking altogether, which like all my friends in Madison were like, is something wrong? What's going on? You know, even my friends in Thailand, you know, people get down in Thailand and they were like, why are you doing this? And I was like, I'm here. Like, how can I not walk up to the temple every morning and fully embrace being here? And so 
so I stopped drinking and, and stopped eating meat and was just like, I'm going to do this experience as fully as I can and just go so far the other way from where I had been in New York. And then maybe that will help me find a happy medium. So I did that for a while and came back and was supposed to be um, going back to New York. And I was really freaked out because I was like so at peace with who I was and so content and was afraid I wasn't going to be able to hang on to that in New York. And, you know, it's, it's hard to marry the two concepts. They're so at opposite ends of the spectrum. So the first thing I did when I went back to New York was joined a yoga studio and uh, said I was, I well, I tried to not drink during the week, only on the weekends and that quickly did not happen. And I was, you know, it's a different thing when you're a young professional trying to prove yourself, trying to make a name for yourself, because when that happens, I fell victim to this, even after almost seven months living in Thailand, really coming back sure of who I was and what I wanted. You put yourself aside for other people and for success. And, and I did that. Even though I was trying to go to yoga and I was trying to hold on, like desperately hold on to the stuff that I had learned and thought I was going to be able to take with me from Thailand, it really felt tricky where I was just, you know, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable and nobody feels comfortable at 22 saying to their boss, you know, I really can't take on this extra assignment because I really need some me time. <laughs> like... That is sort of unheard of. And I probably would have been fired for that. Again, that's a cultural issue. That's a systemic thing that we're really hoping to change because I would love a world where a 22 year old can say to their boss, here's the deal. I'm in this. I want this job. I want to do the best job that I can, but I need some sleep or I need a night off. I cannot go to this happy hour or whatever and have that be okay because we need to be able to take care of ourselves in addition to being great at our jobs, because what's going to happen is what happened to me, where I completely stopped taking care of myself. A couple years in, I was totally burned out. I had gained 15 pounds. I was, I had a kitchen that really was not particularly functioning. We had a mouse in one of our stoves in New York. And so I was ordering food very haphazardly at weird hours of the night, whenever I got home or was still at the office. And you know what I did? I left. And that's what's happening. You know, I'm, I'm a millennial. And what's happening now is people see on Instagram, they're like, you know, I'm slogging through this. I have no personal time. I gained 15 pounds. I'm not healthy. I'm not happy. I'm striving for this thing. And they're like, what is the point? You know, and so what happens is then they see on Instagram somebody who's figured out how to travel and be a, in a multi-level marketing job or whatever it may be, and they're doing just fine. And so they leave these corporations that really need them. They might not need them, particularly when they're 22. They're pretty replaceable at that point. But if they're able to hang on to them at 22 until they're 32 and they're three levels ahead and they have made the company what it is and they're going to lead the company in the future... That's why it's so important to be able to hang on to those. And so for me, you know, I, I bowed out because I was like, I am really struggling to marry this person that I feel like I'm supposed to be this more Zen, more peaceful, calmer, happier, whatever person with 
somebody who also really does value success and my definition of success. I wanted to, I, I liked working. I like working. It wasn't that I, I was lazy or didn't want to do my job. It was that I kind of got sick and got sick of it and really needed a break. So luckily I was dating my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time. He was in Denver and I was in Manhattan and I had a, I had an office. My company had an office in Denver, really close to his townhouse. So he was like, come out here, move in with me. We were kind of at that point in our relationship anyway, where somebody needed to move or wasn't really going to be able to go forward and, you know, try working, doing your job here and we'll see how that goes. So I did that. I did a little bit of back and forth between Denver and Manhattan for a while. That was pretty exhausting. And then when my husband got moved up to Vail for his job, he's a civil engineer. So he does like tunnels and bridges and roundabouts. I was like, I cannot go back and forth between Manhattan and Denver and Vail now and do this job that is totally exhausting and, you know, still kind of wreaking havoc on my well-being. So I just quit. I left and I moved up to Vail and was like, I need to just take like two months to figure out what it is that I can do professionally that is going to support my personal values, my personal and my professional values. I value a strong work ethic. I value putting the time in to get ahead. I value innovation and creativity, but I also value time outside and sleep and nourishing your body well and time spent with friends and loved ones. And I needed to be able to do all of that. And so that was really how I found the coaching program at Duke. And did that and decided to start my own business, which, you know, is one route, of course, that we can take like you did, where we get out of corporate and we want to do our own thing. But I would like for that to not be the only option for women if they want to find something they can do that that allows them to be their, their whole selves fully. Starting your own business should not be the only way to do that because starting your own business is awful. <laughs> it is so much work. I don't know why anyone does it unless you are so passionate like I am about changing this world. That's the only reason I still do this because I am, you know, when we started out, thankfully we have a team that does most of this now, but like bookkeeping and accounting and taxes and legal government filings. I mean, no way. So, you know, really, this should not be the only out for women. Women should absolutely be able to stay in the corporate world and become successful professionals without sacrificing themselves. And so, you know, for me, I've now come so far where I am able to, you know, I work both from home and from an office, kind of depending on the day. I travel quite a bit for work. Um, but like I, I take lunch breaks now. I walk my dog. I have a hard stop at the end of certain days where I physically close my computer, take a deep breath and like go spend time with my husband and have a conversation. And granted, I'm still, you know, as a startup owner, founder that can still be difficult to shut the work part of my brain off but at least I'm in a place and in a job now where I feel like I have the option to support all of those things that are so important to me. So I would love to hear more about what in your life brings you those things that I mentioned before meaning purpose and happiness. It's funny because I think I'm one of those people that's an extroverted introvert 
is what they call us. So I think I seem very extroverted, but I'm actually somebody who I really need my downtime and my alone time to recharge my battery. And that's been something interesting with being married because my husband is not really that way. He's like, can go, 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 loves to be social, recharges his battery by being with other people and doing things. And uh, I've really had to sort of set that boundary a little bit, even in our marriage to say like, you can go do this stuff, but like I need a night to myself. And so when I do take that time for myself, it looks like reading. Um, I read a ton. I always usually have one, you know, sort of like self-help or research kind of book going. And then I always have a novel going just because I love to get lost in a good story. Um, I take baths almost every single night before bed, which has been a lovely way to end the day now. Um, although I've started bringing my iPad into the tub and like watching TV, which feels relaxing, but actually isn't. So I think I need to stop doing that. And then I also, I find too that throughout the day, it's really important to feel like I am cultivating happiness, peace, joy. And so when things can feel a little crazy throughout the day, which a lot of my days do feel that way, I drink tea all day long. I have a cup of tea right here with me. And I feel like every sip is a little bit of peace. You know, even if I'm on a crazy video meeting or whatever, I have one second of like, huh, which I think is very important. My husband and I, in the summer, we don't do this as much in the winter because it's really cold here, but we have a little balcony off of our master bedroom with, we got these like little chaise lounge things and we have tea time at night where we just make green tea and we sit outside and look at the stars and sort of download on the day and the week and whatever's on our minds, which is really nice to have that connection with him and have that kind of wind down time. Um, but then I also think for me having a really close circle of girlfriends fills my cup. Like you would not believe. I have been so lucky when I first moved here and was sort of, you know, in between, I was figuring out if I wanted to be a coach, if I wanted to go back to school, I had just quit my job. So I started um, teaching Pure Bar and was a bar instructor. And through that made so many wonderful friends because the, I think the fitness community can either be like really intimidating and kind of uh, exclusive, or it can be really inclusive and wonderful. And the pure bar here in the Vale Valley was just wonderful. It was exactly what I needed. I made all my best girlfriends through that. And, you know, we're in a book club together now where we discuss pretty much everything, but the book we were supposed to read for the month, but you know, everybody just talks about what's going on with them. And, and it's interesting being in Vale. uh, if you don't want to work for the resort, or as a waitress or, you know, a ski instructor, you kind of have to do your own thing. You kind of have to be a business owner. So a lot of the women here are, you know, they'll teach an exercise class on the side or whatever, but they're business owners. And so that's been so great to have that community to laugh with, to complain to everything under the sun, just really, uh, that's, that's been so huge for me. And then I do have a meditation practice where I could be really consistent with it for like six months. And then one day I won't do it. And then it's like, oh, three months went by and I didn't meditate. So I try really hard to stick with that. And I do a type of meditation called the Ziva technique, which I really like. I am someone who has tried 
all the meditations out there. I've done meditation classes, guided meditation, you know, on, on my phone with an app. Um, I've done completely quiet meditations, you know, for hours at a time in Southeast Asia, uh, sound baths, you name it, I've tried it. And what has really resonated with me as a busy professional woman is this Ziba technique, which is 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the afternoon. And it is the three M's. So you start with mindfulness, which is like tuning into your surroundings and just really being super present. And then you switch into meditation where you actually have a, um, a mantra that you're kind of saying over and over again, you get a little into the zone and then you come out of that and move into manifestation, which is what leaves you feeling so energized afterwards because you've been sitting there for like four minutes visualizing all these things that you want for yourself and that you want to have it. And you come out of it and you're like, yes, let's go. And it's so great. Um, so I do that in the morning and then it's great in the afternoon when you're kind of hitting that afternoon slump, I'll do that and have another cup of tea. Um, and so that's been wonderful. So if I can be really consistent with that, that's awesome. I'm so glad that the Ashley flowers episode like led you to me. And now we have this connection If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more from us, Molly and I will be going live on Instagram together on Friday, May 22nd at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So follow along at FemPower Media and at Medicool so you can join us. If you want to see the uncut video interview with Molly, sign up for my newsletter at FemPowerMedia.com. I want to extend special thanks to Molly for taking time out of her schedule for this interview. You can follow her on Instagram at Molly Dewey, and you can learn more about her business at Medicool.com. And I want to thank you for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave a five-star review and tell your friends and family to listen. If you have any questions or suggestions, please feel free to email me at fempowermedianetwork at gmail.com. You can also see the show notes, sign up for email updates, and provide episode suggestions on fempowermedia.com. The cover art was created by Gabrielle Bourgeois and the music was created by Broke for Free.